Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. As I mentioned during the announcements, uh, you know, it's so good to be home again after, after two weeks traveling. Uh, my family and I went on vacation. Uh, we left right on, on January 1st on that Monday, drove to Minnesota where we got on, on an airplane and flew with my parents to Houston, Texas. Uh, in Houston, we spent a week with my, with my brother uh, and his wife and their two kids. Uh, but I also have a bunch of other family in Houston, so we got to see all of them. Uh, my grandpa and grandma, my mom's sister, my dad's brother and his wife, my cousins, my first cousins once removed, my great aunt. We saw tons of people in Houston. It was a good time. And then we went to Minnesota and uh, spent the last week uh, with my wife's family and her five siblings and their spouses and nieces and nephews. And so we had a lot of family and a lot of fun. And now we're home. And uh, I tell you this, but Max is at home right now with a little bit of a fever. So he got some of that Minnesota stuff. So I'm well, though, as far as I know. But it's good to be in God's house with all of you after a long vacation. You know, today within the church year, we are in the season of Epiphany, which officially began last year, uh, last year, last week. Uh, but we are in the season of Epiphany for the next five weeks, and that takes us to Lent. So Lent starts in five weeks. And the season of Epiphany in the church year is a season all about uh, how God came in the person and work of Jesus, not just to save the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. So Epiphany is all about God's love for all people. But this didn't just start in the New Testament with Jesus. That's not when God first became interested in all people. As a matter of fact, throughout the Bible, even in the Old Testament, God is a God of great mercy and love for all people. A lot of people have the attitude or mindset that the Old Testament is just this book of a vengeful, angry God trying to bring wrath upon people. By no means is that the case. Uh, God is a God of great mercy and love for all people. And so that's why, for the next five weeks, it's appropriate in the season of Epiphany to study uh, probably one of the most well-known Bible stories, I think, and it's this story of Jonah. And Jonah is a very fitting book to be studying in the season of Epiphany, as Epiphany is about God's love for all people, because this book of Jonah is a book about God's relentless love and pursuit of all people. Now, Jonah is a well-loved book. I think it ranks high on a list of uh, most well-known Bible stories, probably even within popular culture. People who have never opened a Bible probably know the story of Jonah. But what parts of the story do people know? And what parts of the story of Jonah do you know? I think people know the part of the story of Jonah and the quote-unquote whale, right? That's that like famous, famous duo, that famous couple, Jonah and the whale, right? You put them together just like other things, like Simon and Garfunkel, Sonny and Cher, right? Beauty and the Beast, David and Goliath, Cheese Whiz and... What? Cheese Whiz and olives. Cheese, you ever had a Cheese Whiz and olive sandwich? No? Go home and make yourself a Cheese Whiz and olive sandwich. Man, that was a staple in the Gierke household growing up. I was raised on, I, I haven't had, do they still make Cheese Whiz? I don't even think they spell cheese right. It's like C-H-E-E-Z, right? Man, good stuff. Cheese Whiz and olive, right? So you do this and, right, and Jonah and the 
whale, right? I think this is what people know about the, the story, but it, you know, you ask him, why was he in the belly of the whale? Did he get out of the belly of the whale? Did, is that even possible for somebody to be in the belly of a whale? Was it a whale? And did anything happen after that? Where did he go? What did he do? Do you know? Well, here's what I want to do. You know, over the next five weeks, I want to dive into this book of Jonah. And it's going to be a fun, enlightening, and challenging journey, I think, to take over these next five weeks as we seek some answers and some clarity. Uh, but next week, what we're going to do, starting next week, we're going to go chapter by chapter. So next week will be chapter one, the week after that, chapter two, so on and so forth. Each chapter, you could sit down and read the book of Jonah in, in probably 10 to 15 minutes, just straight through. So my encouragement to you over this next week, read chapter one and just read it a bunch of times. It won't take you maybe a minute or two to read chapter one, okay? And so what we're going to do today, though, I just want to give you a little bit of background, kind of historical context on this book of Jonah and, and sort of cast the overarching theme of the book. That's the plan for today. And so to do that, let me just reread these first three verses of Jonah chapter 1 as we did a minute ago. Let me reread it. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, here's the deal. Jonah is a real guy. Jonah is a historical figure that actually existed, and he is listed in the Bible among the prophets. Uh, the, the events of this book happened somewhere between the, the dates of 793 and 753 B.C., so about 800 years before Jesus uh, and so this is when a lot of other prophets were coming about and, and were coming to the nation of Israel. Now, Jonah is also uh, quoted in the book of 2 Kings. His, his name is mentioned in the book of 2 Kings. And here's what it says in 2 Kings about Jonah. According to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-hefer, all right, so this is the same Jonah, and, and if, you're, if you don't know much about uh, your biblical history, the book of Kings, 1 Kings and 2 Kings, that's like a history record uh, that they kept in the kingdom of Israel, telling the stories of the kings and the prophets and the warfare and so on and so forth. So the, it's a historical book. So the fact that this Jonah is mentioned here, and Jonah the son of Amittai, that's like having his last name on there, okay? So he's mentioned here in 2 Kings, and during this time he's a prophet with the king Jeroboam, who was a bad guy, all right? So you can read all about that. And so that's how we know that the events of Jonah happened between 793 and 753, because that's when King Jeroboam was reigning. And so uh, there's a lot that we can know about this. Now, Jonah is also, his book, the whole book of Jonah, is, can be found in the section of scriptures called the Minor Prophets, which are the last 12 books of uh, the Old Testament. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Okay? Those 12 guys, right? So right there in the last 12 books of the Old Testament, these short little minor prophets, Jonah is right there. Now, many people like to toss this story of Jonah kind of into the category or the realm of, uh, you know, it's a, it's a fable or an allegory or a, or a parable. 
You know, like a, like a nice story with a good moral, but no way could it be possible that this is actually a historically true story. I don't, I don't know what you think when you hear this story of Jonah, if it seems within the realm of possibility that it could have actually happened in history. But if you ask people, why would you say that it's just a parable or just a fable, that it couldn't have happened? And they would say, well, it's kind of a silly story, a guy in the belly of a whale for three days. Seriously? Right? Seriously? How could that possibly be true? They would say that that's just so far outside of the realm of normal, everyday experience that it just doesn't seem to make sense. So we'll just kind of cast it in the category of it's a nice story with a good meaning, but could it have actually happened? Well, here's the deal. You know, Jonah is quoted, or Jonah is mentioned in that book of Kings, 2 Kings. So that therefore makes him a historical person, okay? Uh, The book of Kings is only filled with the facts of what happened in the kingdom. So Jonah's a real guy. But even more so than that, in our gospel lesson today, if you were paying attention, in Matthew chapter 12, who talked about Jonah and compared himself to Jonah? Jesus did. And every time that Jesus references an Old Testament figure, he only references the facts. He doesn't reference allegories. He he compares himself to things that actually happened and says, that was an example uh, of what I'm about to do, but I'm about to do something even greater. So the fact that Jesus compares himself to Jonah, in a sense, forces us to have to believe that what happened in this book of Jonah is, in fact, a true story. And then I'd come back and I would just say, and what's so unimaginable about this story anyways? So it's a guy in a belly of a whale, right? Just because it's outside of a normal, everyday occurrence to see the man in a belly of a whale for three days doesn't mean it can't be true, right? I mean, if that's how you are going to judge history— If you're going to look back on history and say, well, just because it doesn't happen in an everyday occurrence, then it can't necessarily be true, you'd have a difficult time believing many of the events in history, especially many events that happen within the Bible. Because, just think about it, you wouldn't even be able to to say that, that man landed on the moon, because people don't just land on the moon, right? Now, don't tell me you're some of those conspiracy theorists who think that somebody didn't actually land on the moon and they filmed the thing in the desert, right? You can't just look back on history and say, hmm, because people don't, that doesn't normally happen, it must not be true. That's no way to read history, especially a history where we believe that God can break in and do unimaginable things. So, think about it like that. Here's the deal. When God came to Jonah, Jonah, J- Jonah uh, heard this word from God, right? Jonah heard this word from God. Uh, God came to Jonah and he said, go to Nineveh. Go to Nineveh. You can put this slide up on here. Go to Nineveh, okay? Go to Nineveh. Uh, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Jonah was down here, uh, you see under the number one, uh, Jonah's from that city called Gath Hefer. And Jonah hears this word of God, go to Nineveh and I want you to bring a word of repentance from them, for them, right? Go there to Nineveh. 
it's an interesting story here uh, because Jonah is this, he's this very unlikely prophet. He's a very unlikely prophet, and, and God calls this unlikely prophet to go to a very unlikely city. What we learn in the story is that Nineveh had fallen very far away from God. Their sin was so great. So God calls this prophet who is going to run away, okay? Jonah is going to run away, and God calls him to go to a city that has already run away. And here is God right in the middle of it trying to bring together this, I don't know, sort of odd couple on a blind date of repentance, (laughs) So he's trying to bring together a fleeing Jonah to a fled city on a blind date of repentance. It's kind of a humorous story if you think about it. Kind of a humorous story. So God says, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah's from Gath Heifer, and he doesn't want to go to Nineveh. Uh, I'm not going to give you all the details. We're going to get into that more in future weeks, but uh, why he doesn't want to go to Nineveh. But so Jonah flees down to Joppa, which is a port city, and he gets on a boat to go to Tarshish. Tarshish is mentioned three times here in these first three verses. Uh, Tarshish was somewhere uh, to the west. There are a number of cities around the Mediterranean region with that similar name, Tarshish, and that Hebrew word Tarshish can also mean just a far away, distant land. So we don't necessarily know where he was trying to get to, but if you look at the map, he didn't need to take a boat to get to Nineveh. <laughs> so the, more, the, the long story short is that Jonah was trying to go in the vast opposite direction. Nineveh is up in modern-day Iraq. So to get to Nineveh, Jonah didn't need to take a boat. He probably more than likely needed to take something like a, a camel or something, right? I wonder what it would have been like if a camel swallowed up Jonah for three days and three nights. Maybe that's where the camels get their humps. Do you ever think about that? Sorry, just that's a random thought. I don't, I don't know. So, so Jonah has to go up to Nineveh, right? To this city where they have fallen far away from God. But when God speaks to Jonah, what did Jonah do? Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord. When God spoke, Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord. God called to Jonah. And he said, Jonah, I want you to be the one to bring repentance to the city. And Jonah knows that it's an evil city. He doesn't want to go there. He doesn't want them to repent. He doesn't want to be the guy to have to do that. So what Jonah did is he sought to preserve himself. He wanted to preserve what he wanted, not what God wanted. So when God spoke, Jonah fled. He wanted nothing to do with Nineveh. And so he fled from the presence of the Lord. I have a question for you today. When God speaks to you, do you flee? When God speaks to you, do you flee? When God calls out to you and he says, come to me, believe in me, cast all your cares upon me, give up your own life and your own vain ambitions and take up your cross and follow me. When God speaks to you, do you flee? When God brings a call upon your life like he did to Jonah to go to people who need to hear the word of God, what do you do? Do you flee? When God comes to you and he says, now is the time Now is the time to go and engage your neighbor in a conversation about Jesus. 
when God comes to you and he says, now, now is the time to seek reconciliation with that person that you have a strained relationship with. I don't want you to seek gossip. I want you to seek reconciliation. Now, when God speaks to you, do you flee? It's a bit of a trick question, and I already know the answer. When God speaks to you, do you flee? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. However, some of you, at some times, at different times, run and flee in different directions. You see, sometimes when God calls out to you and he speaks to you, sometimes just like Jonah, you flee in the opposite direction and you say, no, 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 no. Not now, God. Not now. Not, not them. I'm, I can't do it now, Lord. I need to look out for myself and you flee. But sometimes when God speaks, you flee in a different direction and you flee towards his voice. You flee from yourself, from your own ambitions, and you flee to the voice of the merciful God who is calling out to you. When God speaks, do you flee? Yes. Sometimes you flee away, and sometimes you flee towards him. You speak those words, here I am, send me, Lord. When God speaks, you flee. It's just a matter of whether you will flee away from him or whether you will flee towards him. Now what we're going to learn in the story of Jonah is that the good news is you cannot outrun God's loving pursuit of you. There is nowhere that you can run in this world that is outstretched past the arms of God's outstretched arms for you. You cannot outrun the love of God. Even the pagan city Nineveh, God cared for them. They're part of God's creation. He cared for them. He loved them so much he sent a prophet to them. They had fled from God and yet God pursued them. Jonah fled from God. He heard that call of God and he fled from God. And what did God do? He pursued him. And then he placed that unlikely couple together according to his purpose. How unlikely that Jonah would go to Nineveh and yet how true it is. Each day, you and I have the opportunity to flee away from God's presence, or we have the opportunity to flee from ourselves and flee into God's presence. So I just ask you, what will you do? What will you do? But I want to remind you, in the moments that you find yourself fleeing from God's presence, God is right in pursuit of you. He's hot on your heels. If you find yourself running away from God, I tell you that just as God was with Jonah in the belly of that whale, God is with you. He's in your, with you in your moments of fleeing. He's with you. His love is for you. His forgiveness is for you. The arms of Jesus outstretched on the cross of Calvary are open wide to receive you time and time again. Over the next five weeks, we are going to be, I believe, challenged by a relentless God. God is relentless in his pursuit of us sinners, and I think it'll be a challenge for us because we don't necessarily always want God to pursue us. And on top of that, God is in pursuit of our enemies, and we might not always want God to be in pursuit of our enemies. I think deep within our sinful core, there are some people that we just wish would remain unloved. 
And then to go above and beyond that, oftentimes God calls us to be the very people to go to those unlovable ones. I look forward to getting into this book of Jonah with you, but I hope and I pray that you will see that God is relentless in his pursuit of all people. So let's get ready. Let's dive into the waters in the book of Jonah. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen.